This is Red Pop Pop. Red Pop Pop. I can't do it today. <laughs> a podcast. RP Square. From Red Hot Publications. <laughs> Red Pop Pop. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. I'm Richard Eller, and with me today, I have folks who have created an entirely, uh, it's almost like an encyclopedia of the town of Roadhiss. And if you drive through it, you wouldn't think that's possible. But with me today is Sherry Hartso Sigmund, who is the author of the book, and Rick Justice, town manager. And we're going to talk everything that we know about Roadhiss. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Let's start off with how this thing happened, because you have got to have the most incredible origin story of a history of a town that I've ever heard. It goes back to the sixth grade? Sixth grade. When I was in the sixth grade, I had a teacher, Mr. Henry Stevens, who asked us to do a project, a research project. And I went to several citizens in the town, asked their story about the history of Rodeus. I went to Effie Kirby and Boyd Holler. And when they told me that there had once been a hotel in town and that the first church in town was a Lutheran church, I was hooked because I didn't know when I... By the time I came around, the hotel was no longer there. The Lutheran Church was no longer there. So I wrote that story for Mr. Stevens. I never got the paperback, so I don't even know what grade I made on it. But then in graduate school in 1988, I decided to do this again. And I interviewed 65 people or so and put it all on cassette tapes. And I collected pictures and... During COVID, I had never transcribed those tapes, so I transcribed them, took them to Rick, and said, Rick, here are the people's stories from years ago, and it was a notebook, four-inch binder, and gave it to him, and he said, we've got to do something with this. I left, and the next Monday, the rest is history, Richard. You (laughs) showed up in town. You and Rick and I had a meeting, and Red Hawk said they would publish, and here we are. Now, with a hotel and everything in town, that must have said to you, this was once a lively place. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. And so when she brought all that to you, what did you think? Oh, well, I, I was mesmerized by it. I had Over the years, I had seen some of her work that she, she used to before she started the book. She just she had a little slideshow, and she had presented it to the town board not long after uh, I was elected a commissioner uh, some 20 years ago. And uh, so I was already kind of hooked on the town's history, I, being a citizen as well. And then when she presented all that to me, and, and this is a conversation she had had a long time ago, she and I had had a long time ago, is someday we need to turn this into a book. Because we had talked about that a, a number of years before it ever happened. And... Uh, I'll say this was a good thing to come out of the COVID period, you know, because we don't have many good things to say about that. <laughs> right. But but that's it, it gave the opportunity. And then during that same time, I went from being the mayor of Roadhiss to the town manager. So that put me in the office, you know, day in and day out. And that gave me more time to work on the real needs of the town, you know, before I was working a job, holding down a, a business. And 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 this really opened the door for me to concentrate on our community. Now, you're talking about COVID. That's when you really did a big chunk of the work on this book, right? Right. I tr- did all the 
transcripts. Um, some of them, one of them was 49 pages typed. Some wow. of them could be three, four, five, depending on how long the interview was. Because um, I know I did just a couple impromptu. I, one at the cemetery. I, I was at the cemetery with Miss Tom Ross putting flowers on his wife's grave. And this man came up and Tom said, hey, Earl, you're from Road Hills. Tell this girl some stories. And so one was at the cemetery. I think that one was seven or eight pages. Uh, one was at the post office, Ann Austin, and that was five, six pages. So some of them were very long. Some of them were short. So you had your cassette player? I had it ready. With you at all times? <laughs> at all times. Yeah. What does it mean to a, a town to have its history so well documented and preserved like this? Oh, well, it, it means everything to me because of the people that that worked in those mills, went to this school, uh, spent their childhood together. All this finally gets documented uh, to give the, give the citizens a sense of pride about what they had accomplished. Uh, you know, it's, the mills are gone. You know, there's not much workforce in our community. There's not been a lot of development in our community. But to me personally, this is a catalyst to turn our town around into a, a, a growing and thriving place once again. Well, Road is, is extremely unique. I mean, yes. you, you start with the name and it goes from there. Tell How did, how did that come to be? John Rhodes came to Road Hiss in 1900 with his son, Caleb. They were from Cherryville, and they wanted to build a textile mill and let it run by water, and that's there in Rodez, the lake. And they needed a partner. They got a partner in the name of George Hiss, who was from Charlotte, North Carolina. So Rhodes and Hiss made Road Hiss. And that used to be, what, the Cliffs? I mean, known at, known at formerly, one time? The Burke County side was known as the Cliffs because that's where the train came through. Okay. And so it has this unique hybrid kind of name between its two founders. It is a town in two counties. That can't be easy. Double. <laughs> Everything you got to do, you got to do twice. You do it twice. <laughs> okay. And then the fact that you had a, a mill on one side and a mill on the other for a lot of years and a dam that backed up the Catawba River right there. Correct. Well, there, the first dam was built in 1902, and it was a horseshoe shape, and it broke in the 1916 flood. Okay. And Duke Power came in and wanted the water rights so they could have hydroelectricity. So they bought out Rhodes, Hiss, and another gentleman who built the plant in Burke County. His name was E.A. Smith. So it bought out both plants, bought the town, bought the mill houses, bought the mills, bought everything. Which is another interesting, unique aspect to Road Hiss that you don't see everywhere else. Exactly. Yeah. And they weren't interested in running the mills or taking care of the houses, so they leased them back to a group of stockholders. And R.C. Moore was the lead stockholder. Walter Moore, R.C. Moore, Clarkson Jones, and another Moore. Uh, he's not mentioned very often. But uh, R.C. was from Charlotte, and R.C. was the 
major stockholder. And from 1919 to 1945, these stockholders ran the town, took care of the mill houses, rented them out, did all of that. And then in 1945, Duke sold the town, (laughs) the mills, everything, to Pacific Mills. Now, why would Duke, or its earlier incarnation, incarnation of Southern Power, why would they want to own the town? Well, they wanted the water rights, and they couldn't get the water rights unless they owned that property. Okay. And to get the property, they had to buy the town. Okay. They also, well, from 19, 1902 to 1919, the mill company paid the teachers. They paid the salary of the school, whatever the school needed, the mill company paid that. When Duke Power bought in 1919, that responsibility went to Duke Power. And Duke Power did it until the state took over in around 1932, 33, 34. And then the schools became state-operated. So Duke controlled everything. Everything. And owned everything. Owned everything. And the irony for me in that is when the mill houses had the electricity put into them, because that didn't happen first. They first put electricity in, in the two mills in 1925 when the town was electrified. Then the houses were electrified in 1926. The, the mill company put in the power lines, and they paid for those. Okay, so when the town was sold to Pacific, Pacific bought the power lines, okay? Bought bought the whole town from Duke. Then in 1954, when Pacific sold to Burlington and the houses were sold, that's when they decided to sell the houses. Pacific was getting ready to do it, and Burlington came in and finished the transaction, Duke Power had to buy back the power lines to the houses because they didn't own them. Right, because they'd sold them lock, stock, and barrel with all that. And all of this stuff that makes Road Hiss unique doesn't even touch the thing that the town today is known for, and that's the moon flag. That's correct. Yeah. Now, where what were the circumstances of that coming together? Well, before I I answer that, uh, let me put something in kind of for perspective about Duke buying the property. Okay. At that time, Duke had a, a vision, a large vision, of this electric business and and how far that could reach out. And they, they and Roadhiss is the prime spot. I mean, that's if you try to dig a hole in Roadhiss, you'll know what I mean because you're going to dig a rock. Hmm. <laughs> so it's got the foundation for that. I mean, it is the premier place to do that. And they had a real vision to to buy that up and to to use that, you know, electricity being made then was used today kind of like the electric cars are, you know. If you put things into perspective, you know how you know we're all about getting an electric car, getting the charging stations, and all that. Yeah, that's the so, new thing. Yeah, it's a new thing. And electricity at that time was relatively a new project. Yeah, and and I still run into people today that that don't know it. Uh, I run into a young man yesterday. He had lost his identification card and uh, had his number on the back, and he worked for the Western Piedmont Council of Government. So, 
you know, called him, told him, and then he came by, and then I got an opportunity to, he, he hadn't, he drove through Rodeos, didn't know nothing about it, and we had a good conversation about that, and I got to share that with him. But, you know, when the mills was in full operation in the 1960s, uh, it was the place to work. Uh, People that got a job there normally kept that job, and most of them had them. Uh, Sherry, she'll talk about that. Forty-some years people did, you know, their entire working years that they did that. And in 1969, they knew they was making some incredible stuff just by the tolerances and the way they, uh, all the design that went into every piece they made, but they had no idea till they had done wove the factory and it made it to the moon before the company ever revealed it to the workers that, hey, you're the folks that made this material. And, you know, once that happened, you know, that, that town was on a high. I mean, you know, here, all the places in the world are in the United States, you know, because it was the arms race. Who could get to the moon first? I mean, us and the Soviet Union, you know, we was we was virtually bare-knuckle slugging it out every day. So that brought a great sense of pride to the people in Road Hiss. And most of them that night when it when the flag went up, yes. they didn't know that they had done that. No, they did, not, they did not. Not until a week or two later, and yeah. they put a notice on the bulletin board at Plant 2, the Burke <laughs> plant, that said that, well, they knew they made flag material. They had made flag material for a long time, but they didn't know their flag material was the one placed on the moon. Because you were talking about the tolerance of it, and it's like, what, three, six thousand, some, some uh, incredible oh, no, number? Oh, no, that's where the nose cone. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And that the come nose, later. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but this material, it is, it, it was, had to be so precise. Unfortunately, that where the town of Rodius is fortunately an heir of some of the equipment that they did this with. And one of those pieces of equipment, Richard, is an encased in the glass cabinet, a set of micro scales that they weigh this little old, tiny yarn. You can put a handful in your hand and you can't feel it. Mm. They put it in this airtight chamber to weigh it because it would have to weigh so much would qualify the strength of, of the material. So, so it was a, a technological mill at the time, I mean, well advanced. In 1964, they reconfigured the plant to put in steel beams in order to hold the weight to make aerospace material. So we wove not just the flag that's on the moon, but we wove aerospace material. And one piece of that material was what was used in the nose cone of the rockets going to the moon, and it would withstand 6,000 degrees. That's why NASA came to town in 1995 and presented Rodas a plaque thanking them for their part in the aerospace program. That's when we made the decals that we now have on the vehicles in town and the shirts that Rick often wears that say, you know, that has the astronaut on it. Yeah. So that's got to be, I mean, for a, a, a textile mill making, thought to be making just ordinary run-of-the-mill clothes, you know, cloth for clothes you wear, for them to make it, that's, that's technologically extremely advanced. Oh, yeah. It, it was the most extremely advanced textile industry in the nation at the time. Right. And our products were asked for nationwide. 
Really? They wanted wrote his products. I have that. That's in the book. I have the people that I quote out of newspaper articles, out of the Burlington Magazine, wrote his products were asked for specifically. One of the work wrote his mill workers uh, after the finding that out was questioned about the quality of the materials that was made in the mill. And uh, Roy's response was, uh, oh, what we make is out of this world. <laughs> and they weren't wrong about that. Yeah. 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 He said, I never thought I'd make anything out of this world, but I did. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the Road His community because it's quite tight knit, right? And and remains that's remains so even though after that high of the moon flag and the nose cone, there's been there's been some less than stellar days. Oh yes. Uh you know, in 1982, we lost our school, Sherry. 1982 is when the we school lost, moved to Granite. Yeah, moved to Granite. The elementary school. Elementary. Yes. And then in 1983, the, the with the plant closing, the textile industry, 82. A- 83, the second plant closed. Yeah, the, the second plant. The first plant closed in 75. Yes. The second plant closed in 83. And that's the Burlington one? Yes. Both, both were Burlington. Both were, okay. Mm-hmm. And the license that closed was the one that made the, the flag material. And, you know, and after the, the citizens and the workers come off of such a great high knowing of the feat that they had accomplished, it's like standing on a rug when the mill says we're closing, you know, your rug's out from under your feet, you know, it comes a, a real blow. So it's it took a lot for the town to be able to hold on. Uh, I know you, there's a lot of places you can you can drive through and... You just see the remnant of a mill village. You know, they didn't survive after the mill left them. Mm. But the resiliency of the, the people for Rodius is they just hunkered down and said, look, whatever it takes, you know, we stay in here. We want to live here. This is our home. And and, and they've, they've had to suffer higher taxes to keep the town functioning without that monetary support that the manufacturing industry brought to the community. Yeah, that's some hard economic times oh. um, to have to, to weigh through. I remember you mentioning your favorite chapters in the book. What were they? My two favorite are the working conditions and the living conditions. And this would have been the early 1900s. Matt Mundy talked about going to the bathroom and an outdoor toilet at the plant, because she worked there, and that the wood bugs would bite your bottom when you were trying to do your business. And she actually talked about she put a piece of bread there and watched the bugs on that piece of bread. And then there's the um, the, the barber shop that was there to give not only shaves but showers and to also the men. to the men. <laughs> to the yeah. men. It was quite a I mean, it functioned very differently than it functions now as a community, but it was quite a, a, a unique and diverse sort of place, right? Right. Well, we did. We had electricity installed in the houses in 1926, as I said, and the electricity was turned on only at night. And for me, that was a difficult concept when I started interviewing these people. And they would say, and the, they turned on the electricity one afternoon a week so the women could iron. And I thought, what do you mean turned on the electricity one afternoon a week? And then it hit me. They just turned them on when it got dark. 
So it wasn't a 24 7 no, thing like we're used to. Exactly. And they actually turned off the electricity about nine o'clock at night because you went to bed. And then they turned it on the next morning, maybe at six o'clock, so you could get up, or five o'clock, I guess, because they work from six to six. They would turn it on so people could get ready to go to work. But once it hit daylight, it was turned off again. Mm. And then the houses did not have indoor plumbing until night. 1949. And you said you uh, you were born and grew up there, right? Right. That now that was later. I, right. Yeah. Electricity. I had electricity. Right. I had electricity. <laughs> I had running water. And you went to school at Road Hills Elementary. I certainly did. Now, were you on the Burke side or the Caldwell side? I lived on the Caldwell side, which was where the school was. Okay. And I used to tell my mom that I felt sorry for the children that lived on the Burke side because they had to walk across that old steel bridge that had holes in it where you could look down and see the water. And that's that predates the one that's there now that was done 72? 1972. Okay. So that makes for a, a kind of a divided community in some ways, but it really wasn't, was it? Oh, no, no. We were all family. Yeah. Yep. You know, the, the Burke guys and the Caldwell folks get, get together. Yep. And Well, that being a one-lane bridge for all those years, people learned to share. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I guess you have to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, there was a man in Granite. I never did know who he was, but someone told me when I interviewed him that there was a body shop person in Granite who said once the new bridge was built, there went half of his business because there were a lot of bump-ups on that old one-lane bridge, and there were a lot of potholes in that old one-lane bridge. So a lot of cars got banged up, and he was fixing them in Granite. So he said half of his business went down the tube whenever we got the new bridge. <laughs> and in this book, you've got some incredible pictures. Well, thank you. Um, how many do you have total? Over 600, well over 600. And almost 600 pages of um, text yes. that go along with those. Exactly. And it was laid out beautifully by Melanie Zimmerman. And she talks about it being kind of, uh, when she went through it, kind of being a, an our town Experience and uh, what was the other one? Spoon River Anthology to to look at this the small town from the perspective of all the stories that you're telling that creates a very rich tapestry of what it was like to grow up whenever you did early 20th century, uh, mid 20th century, whenever that happened. Yeah, how was uh, how was the interviews? How did you? Um, um, I met a, I met a lot of people that I never knew. Fred and Martha Elmore, I had heard their names. I didn't know them. And Tom Ross, okay, I'll back up. Frances Ross, who lived across the street from me, asked me for years to write this. She kept saying, you are an English major. You are the one that needs to do this. You need to get the history written. Now, when was that? I mean, how early was that? 1980. Whoa, okay. And so in 1988, I decided it's time. I started doing my research. And I that Sunday afternoon, I remember this vividly, I went to the Caldwell County Library, which was still open on Sunday afternoons then, and I found the flood article from 1916 and made a copy of it. And many things I made copies of. I went straight to her house, and I was so excited. And she was too. Well, that Friday, she dropped dead of a massive heart attack. Mm. And to help console her husband, who was grief-stricken, 
he went on the interviews with me, Tom Ross, and he's the one who introduced me to a lot of these people, Fred and Martha Elmore. There were people that I had heard their names my entire life, but I had never met them. Um, I knew who Precious Kelly was, but I had never met her. Uh, her husband, Alvis, I had heard his name, but I had never met him. So I made a lot of new friends Going through all those, and you had how many in in the uh, in the book? Well, oh. I have over a hundred interviews in the book, but then that summer I interviewed about sixty eight to seventy people. Okay, and wore out how many cassette players playing them back and transcribing? I this wore thing? out five, at least five. Two <laughs> two Walkmen. Uh, I started with those, and then those broke. I went to two boom boxes that we happened to have in the attic. Um, well, one of those was my brother's. He he told me, he said, well, you can use mine. I have one, and I wore it out. <laughs> and then I finally ended up with the little cassette tape recorder that I used to record these people because, see, I was rewinding to hear what they had said, typing it up, putting it on pause, rewinding, fast-forwarding, rewinding. I wore them out. Put those gears through their paces <laughs> to the point that they couldn't do it anymore. So, and you still have those interviews, right? Oh yes, I have them on cassette tape. Okay, and uh, a lot of the transcripts of that, or the, the what got said, is in the book too. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I typed all of those up. Uh, I, the binder, I, as I said, is four inches, and I gave it to Rick. And when you came and you saw it, your words were, this is not a book. This is an encyclopedia when <laughs> you first saw it. And you could not believe. And you were saying, do you have this? And I said, yeah, I have that in there. And do you have this? I said, yes, I have that in there. Well, I, from a from a perspective of someone who's visited Rodeus a lot but never lived there, um, when you go through town, you you may or may not know that you're going through a town because you don't have the traditional storefront like, I mean, really in a lot of ways, like other towns do. But when you showed me this book and all this of these interviews of people and everything that went on and then all the pictures, then you begin to look at this, look at it very, very differently. Well, when I interviewed people, I interviewed Butler Monteith, Dalton Bashirs, uh, Shelly Tigg, who went by Smokey more than he did Shelly, and Tom Ross, all four of them, one afternoon together. And Shelly said, well, I have this picture you can make a copy of. And they had to outdo each other. <laughs> you have to know those four men. And, and that but, works for right, you, right? And <laughs> Butler said, well, I've got the first employees. And I said, oh, I'd love to have a copy of that. So what would happen when I met these people, my mom and dad still living in Rodeos. I did not. And they would take the pictures to my mom and dad's house, drop them off with their name on the back of them. I would make my copies, and then I would return them to them. And so that's been since since 1988 that was when you started? In, that was in 1988, that okay. summer. My mom said she never knew there were so many pictures of Rodeus. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, this is a book in, in many ways, 35 years in the making. Exactly. If you go back to 88. and The book cost $35, and I told my husband that's a dollar a year. For the research, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Now, one of the things that this book is able to do is chronicle what it was like, but it's also the ability to, for all those old timers, for them to be remembered. Oh, yes. And there's quite a few of them. And your father worked at one of the mills. My dad worked there 37 years. Tell us about that. Um, I, I get emotional about that. My daddy went to work there in 1946, and I need to add, too, his brother came about six months later, my Uncle Dan. My dad and my Uncle Dan were very close. They were 18 months difference in their ages, and they they were together all the time, and then they worked together. And when they closed the plant, my dad, he didn't boo-hoo cry, but my dad had tears in his eyes, and I had not before that time, seeing my dad cry. So it was very emotional. And Daddy talked about how they were family, and he and my Uncle Dan were now going separate ways. They had been farmers together for my grandfather. They had worked together there, and then they both went to the mill, got jobs in the mill, and worked together there. So they saw each other every day. And for the first time, they were going separate ways. And my dad was 57 years old when that happened. And he said to me, I went in over there one afternoon, and he said, I'm doing something that I've never had to do before. And I said, what's that, Daddy? And he said, I'm filling out a job application. Because when he got the job at Rodius in 1946, he went in down there and said, I think I'd like to work here. And they said, okay, uh, what's your name? (laughs) And Get him on the payroll. Exactly. And, and for all that time, he yeah. he was a faithful employee there until they shut the mill down. 37 years. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess that changed the complexion of the community. We were talking about hard times before, but that, 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 that made a difference. And then one of the mill buildings went away. It burned. It burned. Okay. And so that's the one on the Caldwell side. Correct. Yeah. My dad... Um, this is in the book. They first closed the school. Then they closed the plant. And my daddy, I, I did not know this until 1988. I did not know he had said this in 1983. My dad was talking to his friends at the mill, and he said, first they closed the school and moved it to Granite Falls. Now they're moving our plant to South Carolina. And he said, the next thing you know, they'll be trying to move the dam, the damn dam. <laughs> <laughs> and since this book has come out, this has really helped you. I mean, you've had some stories of people recognizing family members that they, they've they learned about their family members as a result of it, right? I sure did. Uh, uh, one lady in particular, uh, she received her book on Sunday. I took it to church with me. And... Uh, and and her photo was in it in third fourth grade, uh, and also her husband's photo was in there. But as she looked at it, uh, she uh, ran across a photo of her great grandfather. I believe she said that none of her brothers, sisters, siblings, none of them had ever seen a photo of him. Wow! And she was just so overwhelmed. She said, we, we, we've looked for a good number of years for, you know, for this photo and did not know one even existed. And and everybody that buys a book, and, and here's another instance. I had a lady that was raising Rotius. She came there, and uh, and a friend of hers came with her that didn't live in Rotius, 
had not, we got to talking about the names, you know, that the lady that lived and wrote his, she said, well, so-and-so's name in it, you know, and I opened it to the to the uh, t- uh, contents, and, and there was that name she'd asked for. And the lady that was with her said, well, I bet there's no foxes in there, is there? I flipped over to the F's, and right there I mentioned three or four names foxes, and she said, oh, yeah, that's, that's my uncle. Wow. And she said, I want to buy a book, too. Yeah. So, and, and we're seeing more and more of that. Yeah. It's a great story on its own, but yes. for people connected, too, and you never know, you might be connected. <clears throat> There's that additional uh, reason to delve into it because you've got some great pictures in there, and some of them have a lot of people in those pictures, don't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah. so, and that was from, from the mills, yes. you know, from all those people who were employed. The, and, and even as far back as the school, I had a lady came in. Uh, Monday of this week, and she told me who she was and who her grandfather was and and her mother and all those. And I said, yeah, they're they're all in the book. And she had her son with her, which was a young to mid teenage years. And she we went to fumbling through the book and and she found a photo of her grandfather in elementary school, and that and her son was he was overwhelmed with getting to see that and as well as she was. She had you know. Uh, here she has never seen her grandfather, you know, when he was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, so, you know, people back then didn't have the access to cameras and photos as we do today. You know, everybody carries one with them in their pocket. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, it was really meaningful for her, and she ended up buying seven books because she wanted each of her family members to have one. Yeah. And to introduce a, a young person to their family heritage like that, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty priceless. It, it, it was, and this young man was really intrigued with it. It, it, it. It's heartwarming to see him so eager to see that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that goes back to one of the early questions you said, uh, ask about the book, is, is this going to fill a void in a lot of people's lives? You know, people that they didn't know. Right, yeah. To reacquaint themselves with earlier generations. Yeah. Now, this mill had a real economic impact on the area, did it? Didn't it? Oh, or, yeah. or both of them, I guess. Well, yeah, yes. the, the two Burlington mills, yeah. Well, they were, they were last Burlington. Okay? Yeah. They were Pacific, and then they were Rotis Manufacturing, and then Rotis Cotton Mills at one time. So they had various names. But, see, most of these people came from nearby farms. And I did interview one man who actually came from, I think it was Ash County, I'm not sure, uh, but up in the mountain area. It might, could have just been Watauga. But he came down in the 1950s because he said there was nothing left up there but farming. So he came down here, um, got a job. That's a long way to come. Yeah, he yeah. came came to Rodeus, and I think he at first was trying to either work in Granite or Rodeus, somewhere nearby, mm-hmm. and he was down there a long time. Tell the story about the $2 bill and how that yeah. impacted a man named Bill Craven, who was this plant superintendent under Burlington in, from 1959 to 1970, um, Mr. Craven had lots of great ideas. He wanted community improvement. They cleaned up houses. They did flowers in yards, and they did shrubbery at the churches and just various things to make the neighborhood look nice because he was concerned about the image that Rodius had in the area. He had ball teams, baseball team, uh, softball team, 
basketball team, bowling team, golf team. He got all of these things for the people in the community. But he was still concerned about the fact that Rhodes's image nearby was not as positive as it could be. So he and Tom Ross, who was the man that helped me do my interviews, went to, Tom Ross was the office manager. They went to the bank and got $66,000 in $2 bills in 1962. And they brought in Downton Bashirs, who was the town police officer, and pulled in a strong box and went from sh- machine to machine and paid the people off in $2 bills. They looked it up in the book, how much they were owed, paid them off in $2 bills. Then when they left there and went out into the various communities and they were spending $2 bills to buy whatever they needed, local merchants had to see where their revenue was coming from. didn't take them long to figure out that that was from Rodius because that flood of $2 bills, even if you didn't know, you begin to wonder and say, well, you know, and I guess they just told him, well, this is how my employer paid me. Well, who's your employer? And then there you go. I have a friend that told me she did. She said, have you ever worked retail? And I said, no. And she said, oh, that story for me rings because she said, in retail, you have a little bin and you have a place for your ones, fives, tens, twenties. And anything other than that, you have to pick up the cash drawer and put it underneath. So they were having to pick up that cash drawer all the time. All the time to put those two dollar bills under there. Yeah, that's 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 an incredibly progressive story for a guy to try to to try to say to the rest of two counties. Look what's coming out of Rodius. Yeah. Well, probably three: yeah. Burke, Caldwell, oh, and Catawba. Yeah, yeah. It was a great marketing strategy too to hire workers because you know they're saying, "Hey, them people down there make money." Yeah, yeah. You know, and and. You know, in to like today's market. See, we're dealing with that right now. Workers are few. That was a good way to lure in people to to come to work. A very powerful way to say this is the economic impact this, of this community that that's right. you know you you may not have enough respect for, but you will after this. Yeah. Well, and they had lots of good fringe benefits too. I mean, when Pacific came in 1945, it was the first time that they had vacation pay. Mm. First time they had sick uh, insurance. They'd never had hospitalization insurance before. Burlington continued that. Uh, Pacific started some profit sharing, but it wasn't as good as what Burlington offered when they came. So there were many benefits. And even when the meal company wasn't Pacific or Burlington, they always had Christmas parties for the children. And there is some advantage for, to go back to the Duke days, of them owning the town because you didn't have to pay any income tax. Oh, exactly. Well, the people in Rodius didn't own anything. People didn't start buying cars until Pacific came. They walked it. You walked to your job. You walked to church. Everything was in town. You walked everywhere you went. So people started buying cars when the pay got better with Pacific. But the company owned the houses. You rent it for 50 cents a week. Mm -hmm. And your electricity and your water was included in that. In in the rent for the house? In the rent for the house. Okay. It was provided. And Calvin Jones told me, he was the first person that said, and I have this in the book, Calvin said the mill company owned the town. The mill company paid the policeman until 1960. Wow. 
Yeah. He was on company payroll. The town clerk was on company payroll until 1960. And so if anything went wrong with your house, the company fixed that, right? Exactly. If the sewer stopped, if your commode stopped up, you called the mill and you asked for maintenance <laughs> and they came out and fixed it. Rick was telling me some of the people that are really, really senior, senior citizens in town still kind of have that mentality. They'll call Rick and say, I've got a problem, you know, and the mill company used to fix this for me. Can the town come and do it? I think I was there one day when you got one of those calls, and they, the, you said, the the town takes care of the. I guess it was the water, maybe to the meter. Yes. And then from the meter on to the house, that's your responsibility. And they didn't understand that. That is correct, and and that was an older citizen that day, and uh, you know. And with that being said, you know we we do have compassion for our people. You know we make sure that they're taken care of in, in that sense. But but you're exactly right, and that was a. For a lot of years, that was a big hurdle for the, the town. For when uh, the mill went out of business, then they just give everything to the town, you know. And and when I say to give to town, they give them the, the infrastructure, the water, the sewer, and then you know then the town had to, to pull up and and hire help to, to maintain all these things that the mill had done all these years. Yeah, and I and that was part of the struggle. Which, you know, we we had to buy trucks, we had to buy backhoes and tractors and all these parts and pieces, and and it just you know it, it was a struggle to hold on to to make it happen. But you know, now those struggles are behind us. I feel like Richard, I and this book is going to be one of the things that's a catalyst for our neighborhood to grow because we're we're a hidden gem right there where Rodius is. I mean. There's an old movie that's out some years ago. It's it it kind of the the title of it describes Rodius. A river runs through it, and, and that river was the beginning of the town. And that river is still the future. That's of why our roads town. and his came. They wanted water powered mills, and what better situation? And they bought when they came. They bought acreage in Caldwell County and in Burke, knowing that they were going to later add another mill. Well, it's kind of uniquely placed because you've got an exit off of the interstate. Yes. I mean, it takes a, a bit of a drive, not much, but a bit of a drive to get there. You're actually, when you mentioned Catawba a minute ago, I was thinking, well, yeah, you're, you're very close to Catawba. As the river flows and as the train runs, on roads, it's you know you got to go up to Granite and then come come back down. But um, it's it's a it's an interestingly placed town in terms of all the resources that you got. We are the center of the wheel uh, because all around us and the spokes that holds the outside rim on are the municipalities like uh, Conley Springs, Valdez, Morganton going Morgan, that way, Hudson, Lenore. And then, of course, Longview, Hickory, you know, we're we're in the most ideal spot in my mind right now. I think we're at the right place at the right time. Yeah, because you've got pretty quick access to all of those. To all of those, yeah. yeah. We have railroad, airport, U.S. Highway 321, plus Interstate 40. You know, we've got all the... All the pieces the right, that you need. Yes, all right ingredients. And now you've got a, a, a beautiful history book. Tell me how you came up with the name, the title. <laughs> well, I first wanted to do Our Hometown after Bruce Springsteen's song, My Hometown. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he goes on from My Hometown to Our, and 
to your hometown. So I thought our hometown, and I wanted to use the lyrics possibly in the preface. But then we talked about it and found out I had to have copyright laws. I had, if I quoted more than X number of lines, I had to contact him and possibly have to pay for that. So I said, I think maybe I'll think of something else. And one Sunday morning, bright and early, I was walking about 6.30, and I thought, weave. Hmm. That's what they did. Yeah. They wove down there. And that's what I'm doing. I'm weaving the story. You are. So I thought, well, i got to have weave in there. And then I just came up, you know, threads. And then I said, well, you know, they were threads from the heart. So weaving the heart threads of a mill village. Rodas, North Carolina. And when I first showed it to Rick, he got teary-eyed. And when I showed it to my husband, he got teary-eyed. So I thought, I maybe I... You maybe. have hit on something, yes. yeah. You've hit on one of those heart strings, heart threads exactly. uh, yep. that they talk about. Um, and a, a beautifully laid out book. My uh, colleague, Melanie Zimmerman, uh, did the, the work on that. And I thought she did a, a fantastic oh, job getting those... All those pictures to you know for a certain uniformity, but well placed within the the copy. Yes, everybody at Red Hawk did an excellent job. We are just so pleased that Rick called Red Hawk, called you. You you were the first person he spoke with, and we met with you the second week of March in twenty twenty two, and. Well, this really fulfills what it is we do because we're if you follow the college's mission to present the community to itself, this is a perfect example of this. This this does it better than probably anything that we've done, and that is show the community. Because I've said before that this whole region is all about doing, but telling our story, we haven't been really good at that. But this gives you an opportunity to rectify that that issue. And, you know, as, a, as an English teacher, you're pretty, you know, as, as Ms. Ross said, you're pretty well-placed to do this sort of thing. I mean, with experience, having grown up there, having your uh, education be in, in the language and teaching and then writing, it seemed like it all came together just as it should. It just took 35 years. <laughs> because, well, yeah. well, I wanted to publish in 1988, but we approached several different publishing companies, and it was going to cost $10,000 then, and that's why it didn't happen. I was a lowly school teacher with not an extra $10,000, and so I presented it to Rick, and I said, here's what I have. If something happens to me, you guys need to know this information. And Rick said, we have to do something with this, and he called you. Yeah, and that's really what we started this for on campus, that there is this wealth of knowledge out there that we haven't tapped into, and this gives us the opportunity to do that. So when you call me and say, we got a book, I didn't realize it was going to be 600 pages, (laughs) but, you know, all the better. Well, Well, I tried to give everybody's voice equal time, and there were some more people that— I quoted more because those interviews did take longer, but I wanted the voice of the people that I interviewed to be heard. Because your adage, when an old person passes? When an old person dies, a library burns. Ain't it the truth? And I just wanted to save some libraries. And quite a few of those people have indeed passed since you did those interviews. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we interviewed uh, a man last year. Uh, first or second week of May, and he died about a month later. He was 90-something. Yep. And um, Tommy Elmore. And then uh, the next week, we interviewed Paul Bright. And Paul will be 97 in November, I think. Hmm. 
So. Well, let's talk a little bit about your uh, upcoming event because Rodius is now, after its incorporation in 1903, is celebrating its 120th anniversary, and you're going to put on a party. Yes, we are. We're going to have a birthday party. I've been busy all day today. I've had a lot of vendors call me today. They're you know, we're getting the word out about this. They're getting to feel some excitement that, that we have about this event. Uh, we're going to have some of the old the mill workers come. There's a special event for them. We're going to have the 10 years in 2010. We had the I attended Rotis Elementary School reunion. Uh, we'll have those people coming for a reunion. You know, it's... Uh, getting back together because yeah. the school's no longer there. The yeah. school is no longer there. But the now, town hall's built on the... The grounds, on, right? On the old school property, yes. Yeah, yeah. How about that? That's on the softball field. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay, right there on the top of the hill. You can't miss it. As oh, you go I, I said we're located at the monkey bars. <laughs> but, uh, yes, that's coming up September the 23rd, which starts at noon. There'll be food trucks, uh, all kinds of vendors. There'll be uh, bounce houses for the children and uh, face painting. Face painting. We have face painter there. Uh, just a number of things, and, and, and it's and it's going to be a wide variety. It's not going to. It's going to be a little. It's going to be Rodius style. And it's got merchandise for sale. Merchandise for sale. Great mm-hmm. that has Rodius on it. Okay, and you'll be there signing books. I'll be there most of the afternoon, yeah. not the entire time, but most of the afternoon. Okay, and then you've got folks. I mean, it's going to be partially a uh, birthday party, but partially family reunion, too, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we call it a town festival, you know, but, mm-hmm. but really that's what it'll be is it'll be a reunion and a festival and and all the all those. So we have we did this in 2019, which was the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing, the mm-hmm. flag on the moon. And we had about 1500 people to come to that one. Wow. And that's the first celebration that the town had had in... Nine years, I yeah, guess. Yeah, So then, you know, we wanted to continue to have something once a year. And then, of course, in 2020, you know, along with the rest of the world, you know, we... COVID. Got hit with COVID, yeah. Yep. So we this will be the first festival for us since 2019. Although there's something of a blessing in disguise in that because that gave you the time to transcribe the interviews and get it all together so we could uh, yeah. we could have this rich history book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and sales are going well on it. I mean, it's sold all over the country, right? Yep, all over. Yeah. I mean, somebody's coming in to buy seven books. You know you got a winner. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And you've uh, made appearances in Morganton, in Lenore, in Hickory, uh, you're going to be on WBTV coming up soon? The 18th, the noon hour, okay. September the 18th. And Granite Falls um, History Museum, Linda, Rich, Linda Crowder. Crowder, has contact, well, emailed me and said that they are trying to find a date. They want me to come up there. And Rick's, I think, talking to several other groups that would like to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the pinnacle is today. Now that you're on oh, Red yeah, Pub Pod, yeah, Red uh, that's right. You know, I, I, I once again, I'm, I'm gonna throw a plug out to, to Red Hall. You know, from 2020, things has really happened. You know, I, I said earlier that uh, we had COVID. I, I changed positions for the town. Pieces of this puzzle just begin to fall into place. I I mentioned to some of my colleagues about what I had in mind when I knew I. I was going to do my best to get this history put in print, and they put me on to 
to this community college and Red Hawk publications. I mean, the pieces of the puzzle just, I, I think it's just beginning to, to, to piece itself together. I think uh, we're going to see a, a, a broader picture here as time goes on that, uh, that COVID, our community is deserving of. I don't know. If, if COVID had not happened, I don't know if I could have gotten all of those tapes transcribed because I was, because I, I, I talked to Rick, this was prior to COVID, and I said, you know, I know I need to transcribe those tapes before I write a book. And I, and I was actually shooting, I mentioned to him, I said, 20, 125th anniversary. I said, oh, five years down yeah, the road. Yeah, five years down the road. I said, are you still going to be working for the town then? Or are we going to, you know, I said, can we publish a book then? And that's what we were talking about. And then COVID hit, and I just sat and listened and listened and listened and rewound the tape and paused it and typed. and Began to figure out how you got to put all this together. I mean, the formative stages and all right. that. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but there's good things coming to road. I mean, I know you can't say exactly what, but good things coming to Road Hills. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting inquiries all the time about uh, our area and, and, and what a jewel it is. And and we, we, we got people looking at us that, that just drove through before and didn't pay no attention. It, just, it was just an old mill village, but... Uh, the park, what happened with the park. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we recently just had a great thing happen. Uh, our ladies' group, relatively newly formed during this COVID era thing, uh, they got the, you know, one one of their members. Uh, her father used to be a, a town commissioner, and then she was elected as a town commissioner. and And at the time, uh, a park was one of the things that he uh, helped achieve in in the town he had worked on. And she said, "You know, I like to follow my follow in my father's footsteps and work on our parks." And well, long story short, she's put an organization together and started some momentum momentum and lo and behold we had a citizen say look i have suddenly come into some money that i didn't know was coming my way i would like to to do something for our community and of course we hooked them up hooked her up with the ladies group and then uh and then since that time we've had some other donors come in and and put some money up and we've recently installed some new children's playground equipment in our park. We've renovated that thing with over $100,000 worth of money donated to the community. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Plus the town, we, we, we've uh, done some excavation work around there. We've got uh, the parking lots being paved. Uh, lots of things is happening. New uh, houses coming up, I saw, last yep, time I was yep, up there. We, yes, we got uh, two new houses on Catawba Avenue that's for them two houses is roughly a million dollars that the investor will put into those. Uh, we got uh, two more on uh, the end of Cape Hickory Cutoff. Uh, we've had uh, three uh, new homes on River Ridge. We just issued some new permits for three other homes, one on Dogwood and uh, two more on River Ridge. So I think that's just the warm-up of what may be coming to our little village. Things are happening in road history. Things are happening. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you want to know what's happened before, because I tell my classes all, you know, like they say, all past is prologue, how you got here, you've got weaving the heart threads of a mill village. Well, thank you both for being our guest on Red Pub Pod. One more thing. Can you say it? Red Pub Pod. There you go. Was it Red Pub Pod? <laughs> <laughs> but you coined a new way to say that, and I really like that. Well, 
RP Square. RP Sorry. Square. RP Square. That that may become our official name from this point <laughs> well, on. Well, that so. would be easier to write. <laughs> yes, it would. RP yeah. Square. Yeah, it would instead of Red Pub Pot. So, mm-hmm. thank you for being a part of uh, our uh, publishing initiative. Thank you for being part of this show, yeah. and we look forward to the event. Hopefully, if you are hearing this beforehand, you will be part of that group that comes on the twenty third and be ready for a whole day of fun. Well, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for everything that Red Hawk has done. We we really appreciate it. You guys have been great. Our pleasure. Yes. This has been Red Pub Pop. There you go. Was it Red Pub Pop? <laughs> A podcast. RP Square. From Red Hawk Publications. <laughs>